Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Trusting the unknown for me, I've always been a hands-on guy in control my hands on the steering wheel, I would turn the way my life went. Trusting the unknown means that there are things around you. There are people around you that are also steering. Maybe a little bit for their benefit, but a lot for your own. Trusting the unknown that it's going to happen All you have to do is keep on keeping on and never stop believing that this is going to be on the other side of the dream or the idea, idea, idea. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's episode features Dolvet Kinsey. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Dolvet. I love that he only has one name, like Cher or Madonna. Dolvet is a New York Times bestselling author, international keynote speaker, celebrity fitness trainer, and personal development expert. He is most recognized for his seven seasons, that is seven seasons as a trainer on NBC's longtime hit television show, The Biggest Loser. Okay, so many of you know Dolvet from The Biggest Loser, but what you don't know is Dolvet's story. So in this episode, we dug into his childhood, what drives him, and the crazy number of parallels that he and I have in Atlanta. We were literally running in the same circles, but never actually hung out or got to know each other. But we know 
all of the same people. It was really weird. It was a lot of fun. And I think you're going to get tons out of this episode. He's a wonderful guy and he's got one hell of a voice. Let me tell you, he's got that Lou Rolls silky voice going on. So give this episode a listen. Let me know what you think on the socials. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the man who only needs one name, Dolvet. Dolvet, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure. I am super excited. So thank you for taking the time to do this. I think we're going to do three things if you're cool with it. The first thing is I'd like to talk about sort of the science of achievement and talk about some of the tips, tricks, and strategies that you've used in the past to get to the level of success that you have accomplished at this point. And then I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and move into the more of the art of fulfillment and some of the things that you do to add more fulfillment into your life. And then I'd like to wrap with some rapid fire questions. Cool? Let's do it. I'm here for you. All right. So I'd like to start at the beginning in Stamford, Connecticut. If you're open to discussing it, can you share the story of how your dad abandoned your family and how that ultimately led you and your siblings to find yourselves in foster care? It's funny you say that my dad abandoned the family. You know, it's interesting because I actually never met him. I don't have any recollection of what he even looks like. You know, I think, uh, my parents were very young when they had my brother, my brothers and my sister and I. And um, I just remember a situation at a very young age, my mom leaving, often looking for him. Maybe he was running in the streets. Maybe he had two or three women. Who knows what his story was? But she spent more time looking for him as opposed to taking care of us. And the problem was then, and this was in um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, leaving Stanford and then Bridgeport. This was in Bridgeport where um, uh, neighbors warned and said, hey, look, if you, if you keep leaving these kids alone, we're going to call, you know, DFACS or whoever it is that, that they call back in those days and police. And they came a couple of times to the house and threatened and she didn't take it to heart. So one day they came and they removed us. It's a day I will never forget for the rest of my life. I think it changed everything, both for the good and the bad, you know, and, uh, you know, we were taken away and then put into foster care. Myself and my younger brother who was probably one at the time. I was four. And my older brother and sister, who were probably seven and five. Be that as it may, I didn't see them for weeks. Uh, my aunt worked extremely hard to make sure that we didn't grow up in a system. So she got up every morning, 5 a.m., went as far as she could go to get as much assistance as possible to make sure that we stayed together. We were lucky enough to find a couple, Jamaican couple that were foster care uh, parents. And they took many kids back into their home. So when we reunited, we reunited with Mr. and Mrs. Alcock, who had a huge home in Connecticut. And there was probably 14 kids inside the home, you know, sort of a uh, in-house, out-house scenario. One week, two kids would leave. The next week, five would leave, that sort of a thing. And then it led us into just being the only four there. 
about six or seven months passed and they called us in and said, hey, listen, not for nothing. Uh, we've been praying and talking about this and we'd like to keep the four of you and adopt you. And so we were raised with them. If my research is correct, there was a social worker that was someone that was very special to you. And she created something, I believe, called a life book, which really impacted you. Can you explain uh, a little bit more about that story? You know, sometimes when things happen to us, uh, Rob, very um, traumatically, we tend to block things out and we tend to, you know, place them in different areas in our brain. I'm so fortunate for the social worker because she came to me and said, hey, look, this was the same social worker that came to my door, mind you, with the police and said, I'm taking you away. So my image of her wasn't the best. But she came to me and said, right. what's, what's your favorite color? And at the time I said, orange, you know, big, bright eyes, whatever. She said, okay. And so she got an orange book and it was, um, it looked like you can color in it or something. And every page was orange. And she created this book of my life. She told my story, where I was from, uh, and wrote it out and, and sat down with me and put pictures of the school I was going to and pictures of me and my brothers and sister and asked me to draw at the back of it and, and just create this positive image of life wasn't over, this is your story, and you'll move past it. So for me, that was, that was a beautiful, and I actually, ironically enough, still have that book next to my, my bed this very moment uh, here in my house in Los Angeles. Um, just as a reminder, I think because I don't have a lot of photos of my childhood for various reasons, there is a photo of me in there that I refer back to and just sparks up uh, all these memories. So I'm so grateful for that life book that you put in. So when you, when you think back of her now, does she, does she hold a different place in your heart? In other words, um, from the first encounter that you had with her to the second encounter, it sounds like she truly had your best interest at heart in, uh, in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, she absolutely did. You know, she's a, she was a woman who was doing her job, but at the fact, the fact that, you know, people, we all have jobs. Some of us go above and beyond in our, with our jobs and, and, and considerate and considerate enough to think of the other person, not necessarily our agenda, be it financial, be it self-absorbed. She definitely uh, holds a special place in my heart because she cared enough to say, I'm going to give this child something he'll never forget. And here I am now in my forties and I still have that beautiful, beautiful, uh, souvenir and moment, um, momentous, uh, thing with me to this day. You know, you have such an incredibly positive outlook on this. I, I, you know, I do interviews with tons of people and they complain about so much less. Even when you were finally adopted by a Jamaican family, mm -hmm. things weren't so easy for you there either. Either. How did your experience with them shape, let's say, the voice that you have now? I think it shaped it because despite their shortcomings or their belief systems that, that I still don't agree with to this day, being both mentally and physically abusive, I found strength in that. And I think my strength was early on at a very young age, talk through the issue, get to the core of the problem, find a resolution. So if I'm a young kid who's being, you know, smacked across the face by his dad because 
he, uh, you know, forgot to turn the light off or, you know, what I can go into a deeper, deeper details. That sounds harsh in comparison to what I went through for me to have the, I don't know, the wherewithal to come up to that same person and hug them and say, Hey, I know you didn't mean that terrified, shaking, but still going to that quote unquote, uh, bad moment or bad person or oppressor and giving them love anyway. What it did for me at a very young age is give me, give me a certain internal strength that there's nothing, there's no weapon formed that can take over me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely shaped you. It's funny how we go through these uh, things in our lives that we look back, you know, at the time they weren't so great, but they certainly shaped who we are today and, you know, allowed us to be much stronger. If you fast forward a bit to graduating high school in uh, Florida and then Mm -hmm. ultimately moving to Atlanta and getting a job at the YMCA on on Ashford Dunwoody Road, which I know very well because I lived in Buckhead. Can you (laughs) describe what uh, that time in your life was like? That time in my life, Rob, was just about figuring life out, figuring out my sense of purpose, what I wanted to do. I knew at that time, one thing that resonated in my mind is I felt good helping people, right? I felt it made me feel good, gave me a sense of purpose. So I got a job at the YMCA simply working at the front desk, simply uh, being an office manager in the background. And someone approached me and said, hey, look, not for nothing, you have a great physique, you're you great personality, you're good with people. Have you ever thought about being a trainer? And I said, I've never given any thought. So you should consider it. And um, even back then, I was had an entrepreneurial mind. I thought, wait, here's an opportunity that I can sort of dictate value, but also come up with a, a business system that could actually work for me. So I knew there were elderly people there, mothers, teenagers, kids. And so I came up with a system for each of those categories on how to shape, form, and sculpt these individuals. Um based on where they were in their life or their, their, uh, uh, their makeup, their build, et cetera. So it was an opportunity for me to sort of dig deep, do some research, but also keep my core, which was, um, I'm going to help people feel better about themselves. You know, it's funny how we have these, you know, these different, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm visualizing as you're speaking, I'm, I'm looking at it like a monopoly board, right? The little chess pieces that sort of like are, you know, that make up the totality of your life because, in some ways, um, I feel like I was watching this happen, which I'm going to get into in a second, from a completely different perspective. So, you know, we're all in, uh, we're all on different paths. And I can remember um, listening to uh, my wife and I have been married about 14 years uh, now, and she's 15 years younger than me, which puts her squarely in our mutual friend Burt Weiss's demographic of his radio show. Yes. And I remember I remember being in the car having to listen to these, you know, these these girls would, you know, call up and talk about their boyfriends and this guy <laughs> Burt Weiss who's about my age is dispensing his wisdom and listening, you know, listening to it. And then one day, you know, we hear um we hear that there's a Burt Weiss's trainer from Body Sculptor is on, and uh, you know my wife is stalking him on the, you know 
what was probably Facebook at the time because she was a fan of his show Mm -hmm. and she sees that he's, you know, getting in radically, you know, different shape. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing leads to another. A friend of hers introduces her to Bert. They become friends and um, you simultaneously are blowing up because of the conversation, you know, obviously because of you, but largely, largely in part from a promotional standpoint for uh, Bert talking about you on the show. And then you start blowing up. And then the, the next thing I know, you're on network television. Can you sort of like take me back to maybe, you know, the first time that you were mentioned on that, you know, certainly big radio station in Atlanta to moving on to getting the call to be um, on network television? YMCA for some time. I picked up a part-time job here and there at retail shops um, and then um, landed in a gym, gym of Buckhead over on Roswell Road. And that's where Bert worked out. Now that to me, I call in my mind today, the wild, wild west, because Pictured 20 trainers, maybe 25 trainers at the time, all independent contractors paying this gym to a monthly fee, but then dictating their own personal value. I oh, it sounds like Gladiator in, uh, you gladiator, know, in, the, in the Coliseum in Rome here in Italy. Exactly. Yeah. Every man for himself, right? So yeah, right. I, I, I was certified, obviously, coming from the Y, and but I, I humbled myself once again because I kind of wanted to approach it to uh, a customer perspective. So I, I started at the front desk, even though I could have came on the floor. But it gave me an opportunity. I did that for a year. It gave me an opportunity to know the clients as they come came in, meet and greet, do my hellos, how are you, know them on a first-name basis. So when I did decide one day I'm going to go on the floor, I felt very comfortable. I knew everyone. Everyone knew me. So I remember going up to Bert and watching him work out and saying to him, bro, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're terrible. <laughs> right? And he laughed and we Did laughed. Did you know who he was? No clue. No, Rob, mm. no freaking clue who he was. And, you know, as far as I was concerned, he was another client in there who needed help. So, but imagine his position, trainers every single day saying to him, hey, work out with me, work out, you should work out with me. And so he just, no, you know, let me just do my thing. So I asked him a couple of times, And for whatever reason, the third time I asked him on that day, he said, you know what? Let's do it. You ever meet someone and just become fast friends and what there's no work involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, we talked as we trained and I was not distracted by the conversation, which I never can be because I'm focused on the work at hand, but the conversation was so woven into as corny as it sounds, the movement, right? Like we were, we were, we were just, there was a synergy in with me. You know what I mean? In sync. So yeah, you're in sync, yeah. We 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 found that uh you know we both came from quote unquote broken homes and we're 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 dads and going through the things in life that we were going through, and we just bonded very quickly. He immediately signed up. He's an amazing guy. He has a um he he has such a gentle heart. He has an ability to he's a great obviously great conversationalist. That's how he does what he does. But, you know, you guys had a very, uh, special, uh, special connection for sure, which is why I think he, you know, just, you know, welcomed you with open arms on the show. But more than that, like, let's, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, like you turned his body around. I mean, at that time, 
ironically enough, you know, it, it was uh, the P90X, if you will, right? It was that transformative, that, ha- that wasn't done at that time. Like no one saw someone's body go from, let's say, dad bod to, you know, a ripped specimen, so to speak. And we put in the work, you know, it's funny because the, I was averaging about one to maybe two new clients a week on my own prior to coming on the show or him talking about me on his show. You know, I'd go to Blue Point, I'd go to uh, Lobster Bar, wherever I could go in Atlanta at night around six o'clock, you know, lobbying for clients. And I averaged about one or two. So he calls me one day and says to me, hey, Dalvet, you're on live radio, so don't cuss. I know we're friends. Um, yeah, I'm here. I'm here with Jeff and these other guys, and they're saying that I could be the Atlanta guy with his shirt off because I have a you know pretty good shape. Can you help me be get in shape for that? The Atlanta guy with his shirt off being their website, and every month they featured an Atlanta guy that was good looking because the majority of their listeners or and viewers were were uh, women. So I said, absolutely. You give me ninety days. Listen to me for a seven day a week regime, work out with me four days a week, and I will change your life. That statement alone changed my life. The fact that the AJC and Jezebel and all these other local uh, media outlets started putting him in their magazines, the before and afters, I went from one to two clients a week to about 60. By myself, and then that was, <laughs> it was. I wish I could cuss on this thing. Rob, you can, it, it you can. Fucking nuts! I bet it was nuts. I bet, I bet it changed everything. So I remember the uh, the guy with the shirt off conversation, and I remember <laughs> him changing his body, and uh, then you know, sort of like I'm going back in my head and. You know, through the years, uh, you and you you don't remember it, but there there were some some late nights in some places uh, where I ran into Bert and I, I met you a few times. You know, just different loud clubs and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. He was uh, you you guys were sort of like uh, you know you were the you were the who's who in Atlanta for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, so I, that's why I was so excited to do this interview because I never really. I never really had an opportunity to connect with you directly because you know how it is. Like if it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning and like everybody's out, you know, having a couple of cocktails and, you know, somebody introduces you, it just, you know, it's, it's always awkward. And so when our mutual friend, Chris Harder said, I got a guy that I want to introduce you to. And he mentioned your name. And I was like, dude, I knew him way before you did. So I don't even, I don't even know what the you're fuck not you're talking me. about. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. Which is, I, and he said, oh, you did? I said, well, yes, but he doesn't know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know him. But he sort of. <laughs> okay. So how did the biggest loser enter your life? You know, things start happening. Um, I don't believe in mistakes. I don't believe in accidents. I believe in rhythm and I believe in uh, faith and God and all that other good stuff. And I think from a timing perspective, you know, having have worked with Bert and then opened up my own private studio and then having an environment where I was not only helping other up and coming trainers be better businessmen and women, but also helping Atlanta the best way I could to shape them, you know? And I think when I did all those things, opening up my own place and working so hard, I saw something beyond myself. Like this place is special. So I hire a publicist. I hire a manager. 
I hire an assistant. I do all these things as if, you know what I mean? When back then, what the hell do you have? You're a, you're a private studio owner. What do you need a publicist for? I just knew and felt in my heart, this is so much bigger than me. With that said, celebrities started coming in and I started assisting a few of uh, the trainers to those celebrities and make, you know, cause I always looked at fitness as a business first, more so than a tool of physical transformation. And I started, you know, helping them out. And literally, I'll never forget one day, Jenna Jackson's trainer came to me and said, Hey, I'm, I'm having lunch right now somewhere on Piedmont with Tyler Perry and Janet. And they're looking for Tyler just said, I'm looking for a role for a guy for he's a trainer, but he can also act. He was like, D, I thought of you. You should, you should go after this. I went after it. I auditioned for Tyler, got the thing got the job. That bug, because I already done a few done a few commercials, the bug of uh, television bug, if you will, just hit me like a, a brick, like, oh, I love this. This is the best of both worlds. So did a couple of episodes on the sitcom with Tyler, House of Pain. And that sort of led me to, oh, I love television and I love fitness. I think with all that said, the celebrity piece, the publicist piece, the trainer piece, the private studio piece, somehow, some way, NBC called and said, hey, look, we saw you on the radar somehow. We'd love for you to come out to Los Angeles and audition for The Biggest Loser. And I did. What's that call look like? Is it, does the call come to your publicist? Or does your cell phone ring one day? Or how does that happen? It literally came into my office. And I don't know if they came from the publicist first and they, and they said, you know, uh, this is the this is the number to his gym. They called the gym. My assistant said, someone from NBC is on the phone. You must have said, like, fuck me. I was like, what? <laughs> Tell him I'm busy. No. <laughs> Holy um, shit. Is the show. Right? Uh, for, forgive me. Is the show still on? You know what? USA Network just picked it up. Yeah, currently filming in uh, New Mexico somewhere because the place out in Calabasas here in Los Angeles has been shut down. It's it's been away now for about two and a half years, and USA Network just picked it back up. Obviously, they're looking for new trainers and new talent, what have you. But there is a phone call I'm waiting on because um, I may have to come in and do some guest appearances, which I'm super excited about because I love I love the I love everything about that show. Yeah, because now you're coming in um, as senior counsel advising the new guys. Um, really, really fantastic. Um, okay, well then obviously you um, you decide to make the move from Atlanta to uh, Los Angeles to to shoot the show. I guess that's how you wound up there, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that was the main reason. You know, It wasn't an aspiration to anything else than, hey, I have a job. Let me, let me get out here and make this work. You know, my, the most difficult thing for me was to get to balance my still Atlanta life, still having my private studio, as well as this new job, this on-camera, five obese individuals trusting me enough to help transform them. As I'm saying this to you, Rob, I'm in my home office here uh, on my desktop, and I look to my right, and I have that same photo of the, I'm looking at myself, day three, with those five individuals taking a photo. And I, we call ourselves the original five or the original nickel is the nickname that I've given them. And um, what a great group of human beings and what a great story, the way they, this is a great story, the way they chose me to be their trainer. 
do you still connect with them? Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Vinny, Vinny was a guy who was a, uh, he had a, a trailer park choir was the name of his country band. He opened up for some big names in the country music world. This guy was 25 years old when I met him and his height was the same circumference as his body. Jeez. If that can give you a sense of where he was physically. Yeah, like he was SpongeBob. He was straight, yeah, straight up. <laughs> never, that's a fact, by the way. Um, but he's such a good guy. He's such an amazing human being. Not only has he lost weight to date, is married with a beautiful, beautiful family. He now owns his own gym and is helping transform people did a natural bodybuilding competition and is still writing music and doing some touring uh, from time to time, right? You know, doing his thing. So yeah, I keep in contact with them, two of which of them recently got married. And another one who wanted to be a police officer, Patrick, he wanted to be a cop, but he was too big. He lost the weight and now he's a police officer in his town and also married. So yeah, I keep in contact with them all, bro. What a beautiful ripple effect that you're putting out into the world in doing what you do. So I see why you uh, why you love it. Not only are you skilled at it, but what a what a beautiful gift that you get a chance to do it. What is the uh, the best part for you about living in Southern California? The weather, wine, and women. Um, let me see. <laughs> we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love it. I love it here. I, I, I just do. I love the weather. I love the lifestyle. For me, it gives me an opportunity to feel young, stay young, take care of myself. You know, you know, you you become a a part of your environment, right? I think if I was still in Atlanta, eating biscuits and gravy would be okay. Out here, it's it's a different thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's it's sacrilege. They they. They, they take your card back and they ship you back to Atlanta. Yeah, uh, totally, <laughs> totally get that. All right, let's move to the uh, second half of the show, which is on fulfillment. Fulfillment is a is a little bit of an art. It's not as much of a science as sort of like uh, what we went through with you. But with you, the science part was really just sort of like letting go and letting things happen. You did your part, but a lot of things just happened for you as they were supposed to. What these questions will probably seem a little random, so just roll with it. What is a new behavior or belief in the last fill in the the blank number of years or months that has significantly improved the quality of your life? It is probably trusting the unknown. Tell me more about that. Trusting the unknown for me, I've always been a hands-on guy in control, my hands on a steering wheel, I would turn the way my life went. Trusting the unknown means that there are things around you, there are people around you that are also steering, maybe a little bit for their benefit, but a lot for your own. Trusting the unknown that it's going to happen all you have to do is keep on keeping on and never stop believing that this is going to be on the other side of the, of the dream or the idea. So when you get those feelings that you want to wrestle to the grounds, the goal that you're after, how do you give it up to the unknown and allow higher consciousness or however you want to 
you know, universal intelligence, whatever words you want to use, how do you allow it to happen and not try and get away, get in the way of it? Is it just more now you're just a little older and you've been down the road before and you're just like, dude, just let go? Or do you have a specific strategy to do it? I think it is a lot to do with experience. You know, I think it's a lot to do with, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I'd be like, no, 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 it's not going to work unless I, you know what I mean? But I think when you've seen enough things work where you weren't immersed in it a hundred percent, you allowed other people to, um, to sort of guide the situation. But I also think it's a peacefulness within to say to yourself from a spiritual perspective, everything is going to be okay. It's going to be all Because right. it always is. Because it always is, no matter what, you know what I mean? Um, it was very, very difficult for me to have a manager here in Los Angeles, Rob, and to have a public and have a couple of lawyers. Because I was mm. so accustomed, you know, I bootstrapped everything. No one, no one ever mm. gave me anything. I figured it out on my own as I went. And that euphoria on the other side of that, where I figured this out, holy crap. I know what I'm doing. I made my mistakes and now I fixed those mistakes and I did this and there were people behind me counting on me to figure it out and it empowered me. So when I went to, came to LA and I'm like, I have all these ideas in the fitness space. Let's do this. Let's do this. My manager's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't work like that. You know, give it a second, give it a beat. Let me work. Let me speak on your behalf and you keep doing your thing over here. I had to trust that he knew me well enough to know how to sell me. So I took some steps to make sure that he knew me personally without anyone telling me I had to do this. I took some steps to help him sell me the correct way. Mm, It's really interesting. What is the one goal that you thought when I achieve this, everything in my life is going to be better. Mm. And then you got it and you went, "Mm, that really didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. Probably the the fame and also the comfort of doing the things that I love, right? Because I love fitness. I love helping people. I love transformation. But then I also love television. I love hosting. I love all those things. So for me, moving out here eight years ago, I moved here because of the show. So when the show ended, it was sort of like, okay, now what? <laughs> now what do you do? You know what I mean? How do you reinvent or pivot or... You know what I mean? It was it was scary there for a while because my whole life was based on 80 to 90% of income lifestyle was based on that job. And then all the other things around it that came. Fortunately enough, the things around it still exist. The things around it, the the partnerships, the the business side of it is still is still happening. And then that's a knock on knock on wood, that's still happening. So um yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think that in itself is what really trans helped helped me. I don't even know if I yeah, I bet I, I bet it's got to be um, really interesting. I'm sure to you know walk down the street, walk into a restaurant anywhere in America, and have somebody recognize you. And yeah. that's got to be a very strange feeling because that had to be all new to you. Not really. I felt a little bit of that in Atlanta, to your point, where me and Bert yeah. went out together. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 that's true. Trapped me in some way. Uh, and again, so when I came here, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks. You know, and, and it wasn't anything where it was 
negative. I think everyone who approached me was such a it was such a positive jolt of of endorphins because they were like, "Wow, I love what you do," or "I love that you helped her," or "You helped me by doing this," and all that sort of energy is always great to feed off of. I bet. Random question: If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Hmm. Africa. I love Africa. Uh, I've been twice. I've been to South Africa with my, my good friend who's in Atlanta now, Justin Anthony, who's from South Africa. I went to Johannesburg, Cape Town, and Safari with him. Just last year, going into the beginning of this year, so December going into January and New Year's, I had the great pleasure of going to Ghana with my son, his very first stamp on his passport. And I went with a bunch of friends where we celebrated and um, brought in the new year in Ghana. And it's such a underappreciated country, but there's so much value to it as well. So for me, that sings to me on a personal level. Oh, you have no idea how beautiful this place is, but wait till you know. You know what I mean? And so if between safari and Ghana, you know, I, I, my plan is to go to Africa once a year for the next 10 years. You want one more trippy dippy weirdy thing? Go. Just, Justin Anthony sent me and my wife to, he's been, we've been friends for 10 years and he sent me and my wife to Cape Town last year and we went for the first time. Wow. <laughs> Are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah. Next time you talk to Justin, mention my name. We're friends. Uh, We've been friends a I, long time. That's my heart. I talk to, we talk every week. Yeah. Just that, mention, uh, just say, Hey, I just did a podcast with Rob Murgatroyd. He'll be like, dude, I miss that guy. I know. He, um, <laughs> you know, which hotel I mean, it's just up at? I wonder if he stayed, you stayed where we stayed. We didn't stay in a hotel. We did a, um, he had a, a friend who owned a house there and we rented, um, this, I mean, like it was like a mansion. It was crazy. It was overlooking the ocean. I mean, we could talk for hours about that, but it's just so crazy. I lived, I moved now, but I lived in uh, a building where he had a restaurant in the lobby. So we've been friends for just forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's my heart. That's both him and Kelly. Usually when I go back to Atlanta now, I usually stay with them at the house. Kelly's amazing. She's an incredible, incredible designer. What's one thing that is rocking your world now that has nothing to do with work? You know, I'm I'm a puppy dad, you know, (laughs) I think of my dog oatmeal. He's a man. He's laying by my feet right now. I think he's just awesome. And it's that unconditional love, no matter what. I love my son obviously in watching his next chapter into manhood and figuring his life out, what he's doing, having so many questions, but at the same time, finding his own answers. And I think that's super, super cool. Yeah. I would say those are definitely the things that are, I'm very appreciative of at the moment. With every level that we achieve in life comes a a new devil. What are you currently struggling with? With every level comes a new devil. I am stealing that. You got um, it. It's yours. Thank you, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Honestly, I really enjoyed getting up every single morning and having a sense of purpose, going on the show and helping those folks. And the show ended, it's sort of, my life has changed. It's sort of like, take a meeting, help this business grow. Okay. And then after that meeting, after that call, then what? You know what I mean? You know, yeah. so it's like finding the next keep me busy thing, Rob, to be honest with you. It's, it's, um, 
all the value that I have to give. It's about honing it into a thing that's a base and the other mm-hmm. things will sort of complement that base. So uh, the immediate answer is finding another, another base. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. We're going to move into the last part of the show, which is the rapid fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind rounds. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Hmm. Justin Anthony said to me once, I've never seen someone surf like you. I said, cuz I could barely swim. What are you talking about? He says, no, I mean, ride a wave. No matter what the situation, you ride it so effortlessly from the, the height of it being problematic, potentially or great to the low. You're the same energy across the board. I thought that was a great compliment. Mm, that is a great compliment. And I love how he makes everybody, he calls everybody cuz. Cuzzy. Cuzzy. What is one of the things you're afraid of right now? Failure not being able to provide for my family. What keeps you up at night? Failure not being able to provide for my family. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Are you scared? What's what's the one thing you want to get better at? Um, follow through. I can never I can never not be perfect at that. Mm. What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? Stealing Fire. Mm. I don't know Who the wrote author. that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can ask that. I forgot the author's name. That's okay. We'll Google it. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? Carrot cake. What's the one thing you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? <laughs> My favorite stance underwear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.